welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this year program, I am delighted to have you on the program. I need to move on from all the election stuff going on. It is kind of the big story, but I'm kind of getting tired of talking about it every day. There is other stuff happening out there. I want to play you some audio. Uh, Tom Cotton was on the show yesterday. He was on CNBC this morning uh, and got, oh, what's his name? The the young liberal guy who's on CNBC all worked up about uh, the, the Green New Deal and climate transition. Listen to this exchange. Refineries that are having of, of supply tech at all. Say again. Are you an advocate of clean tech at all? And how do you actually get to that? Do you, well, look, we you I mean, advocate the transition. The question is how you, how you do the transition. No, no, we're not. Oh, you gonna, think, we're not you gonna, think there's no transition even needed? No, we're not going to transition away from oil and gas and coal and, and nuclear power, which should be a bigger part of the mix. I mean, ever? Uh, no, we can never get entirely off those sources of energy. Not certainly not in our lifetime. Look, wind and solar can provide some supplement to our grid. But they're never going to replace oil and gas and coal and nuclear power, which provide reliable, stable, affordable baseload of power. Um, I mean, on a lot of times, the sun doesn't shine or at nighttime or the wind doesn't blow or snow covers your solar panels. I mean, I thought a good a, a good kind of a parody almost of the progressive left's energy policy that I write about in Only the Strong was a couple months ago when California one week passed a law mandating that gasoline-powered vehicles be eliminated, and then the next week they said don't power, don't charge your electric vehicles between the hours of 4 and 9 o'clock. I mean, most of these progressive... Because of strains on the grid. Yeah, I mean, these people couldn't change a light bulb or a tire, much less redesign an entire electrical grid. Yeah, Aaron Ross Sorkin did not seem to like that so much, but it's true. It's willfully naive. Uh, Listen, I'm not that old. Shut up, Philip. But I've been around the block a time or two with all this environmentalist nonsense going back to when I was in middle school. And I remember that was when global warming at the time they called it. They didn't call it climate change at the time. It was always global warming. And Time magazine was actually some sort of influential magazine people read. And it was all about, oh, my gosh, global warming, global warming. Scientists are worried about global warming and greenhouse gases and and all of this. And, And what I always found remarkable was back in the 1970s. It was global cooling that was in time and in Newsweek and scientists were worried about global cooling and what are we going to do for global cooling and and the like. What is notable is that the solutions are always the same. Whether it's global cooling or global warming, it's always command and control. Government must be in charge. Government must tell you how to live your life. You must cut back. You must do something to save the planet. Last night, London's Royal Festival Hall had a children's crusade to celebrate the launch of the climate book, Greta Thunberg's coffee table book that collects essays from climate scholars with pictures and doom data. This is from unheard.com. Greta was in conversation with Samari Ahmed. You're the coolest 19-year-old I've ever met, Ahmed said who gently quizzed her about life as the world's most famous climate activist. The crowd worshipped her. They lapped up her awkward disingenuousness. It was the perfect middle-class day out, a trip to Glindenburg or Blenheim. Somebody even brought their young kids. 
clearly hoping to inspire them into activism. Greta was perfectly charming. The angry, scowling Greta was not there. She just has exasperated passion, unheard, says. But it's not the only thing she's changed. She had sold herself as a five-foot human alarm bell, a climate Cassandra. Her role was to warn, not to instruct. Her viral moments involved her scolding political leaders, not trying to supplant them. She strenuously avoided programmatic detail, saying such things had nothing to do with me. But now on the stage, she's found her political feet. You will not be surprised to learn. She's become a left-wing, anti-capitalist, anti-growth, typical progressive. This is from Unheard Again. Interspersed. Among the usual directives about the need to pressure political leaders, her message was more radical and more militant than it had been. There is no back to normal. Normal was the system that gave us the climate crisis, a system of colonialism, imperialism, oppression, genocide, racist, oppressive extractionism, climate justice is part of all justice. You can't have one without the other. We can't trust the elites produced by the system to confront its flaws. That's why she won't be bothering with the climate meeting in Egypt. It's little more than a scam, which facilitates greenwashing, lying, and cheating, only overthrowing the entire capitalist system. Her words, the whole capitalist system, will suffice. Interesting. See, at the end of the day, a lot of these environmentalists, they don't actually believe Climate change is the problem. What they believe is capitalism is the problem. Because as capitalism has elevated more people out of poverty than socialism or communism, it has allowed those people to spend money. And what have they spent their money on? Fossil fuel burning cars, climate harming air conditioners, trips abroad on private planes or commercial aviation, They've increased their carbon footprint as they've gotten wealthy. Those Africans need to remain impoverished or else. And this is why they're going to get more violent and why they're not going to get their way. You know, uh, upper income white kids in Europe are now destroying priceless works of art. They've been gluing themselves every time they get more and more destructive. First, they threw tomato soup on uh, one of Van Gogh's paintings that had a fine piece of glass between it. So it didn't, the frame got hurt. The painting did not. Then it was potato soup. They, they threw potato soup. And finally, they, they actually glued themselves to the girl with the pearl earring uh, painting in, in the Netherlands, damaging the painting. And it's, they all go after the priceless works of art. And what's so notable here and so misguided here is where are the works of art? They're in museums. What are the museums for? The museums are not for the rich people that they're trying to attack. The museums are for you and me. The museums are for the people who cannot afford the $100 million for the original Van Gogh. We can go see them in a museum. We get to go to the museum and see the Monets and the Manets 
and the Van Goghs. We get to see the famous works of art. We get to see the Matisse. We get to see the Da Vinci. And they want to destroy those. They want to destroy the works of art that you and I get to see. They don't want you and I to be able to see them. They don't want capitalism. They they tell you socialism is better, a command and control environment. But I, I want you now to tie this into something else with me, if you will. The Atlantic has that piece about an amnesty. I think there's got to be accountability, not amnesty. There should be amnesty between you and your friends who came to different conclusions. There should be amnesty between you and the stranger you disagreed with. Because you and the stranger both got your information. And one of you, maybe both of you, were lied to by the government. The government lacked the humility to say why it was changing. Some of you, myself included over time, changed our views as it became clear the government had decided that it could never land the plane on the runway of COVID-0 and refused to actually just land the plane. They were going to try to figure out how to get us to COVID-0, and they lied. They revised the data. They tried to force vaccines that didn't actually stop the virus onto people. They cost people their jobs. Those people need accountability. They don't need amnesty. They need accountability. The school union chiefs who demanded children stay out of school need accountability. The American Pediatric Association that deleted all the data on children needing to see facial expressions because of the masks and then tried to revise it and say, actually, they don't. They need accountability. We need accountability. We need honesty. We need them to recognize what they got wrong. We need them to say they understand it. And these are the people that Greta Thunberg wants to put in charge. The people who got everything wrong about COVID, how do we know they're getting everything right about climate change? We don't. They tell us, trust them. They they give us the fear scenarios that never pan out. I'm old enough to remember when the world was going to end in 13 years, and that was about 20 years ago. I mean, every year they tell us the world is going to end in 10 years, and it's still 10 years. It's 10 years now. It's 10 years then. It's 10 years before that. It's 10 years before that. We're, we're in that period of time where the real-world data and the climate alarmist prognostications have collided, and what we're seeing in the real-world data is not as bad as what they said it would be. I'm actually moved into the camp that, yeah, I do think the climate changes. I do think they overstate the extent to which mankind does it, but the climate's not static. It's never been static. It's been warmer before. It's been colder before. It's going to be warmer again. We're a planet of 7 billion people. Of course, we have some impact on the climate, but how much do we have vastly overstated by the left that hates humanity? And why should we put them in charge? Look at how they bungled COVID. The same experts, the same elite... They want to be in charge of the economy so that they can save us and save the planet from us. They don't like us. We see this in the media coverage of violence against the left from the right and violence against the right from the left. It's always overplayed and overstated on the left. It's always understated, underplayed on the right. When Paul Pelosi gets attacked by a crazy man, of course that guy was a Republican. When 17 members of Congress are shot by a madman, well, there was no politics involved. I guess I should say shot at. Not all of them got shot, but you know what I mean. 
And, and the left comes and says, well, it wasn't really political. He was just crazy. These are the people who want to be in charge of your life. They want to set the policies of the economy. They want to pick the winners and losers in the economy. They screwed up COVID so bad. Why should we ever let them be in charge of wrecking our economy to save the planet because of climate change? The people who thought it was going to be global cooling now think it's going to be global warming. They wish to be the ones to tell us how to live our lives. You see how they told us how to live our lives for COVID. And in fact, it was part of a climate agenda to keep us inside, keep us out of our cars, keep us from going to grocery stores. Oh, look, the canals in Venice are so clear. You can see to the bottom for the first time in living memory. Oh, look, there's no smog in Los Angeles. I can tell you where they're going to go with their climate change agenda based on where they went with their COVID agenda. Do you want that? Do you want to be unable to get in your car and drive to your grandmother's house because she's at the end of her life? And you want to be able to hold on to her? And they say, no, I'm sorry, you can't. You've had too much climate emissions today. You can't go out in your private car. You must take public transportation that doesn't go near there. That's what they would do if they could get their way. And Greta Thunberg, it was always obvious she was going to wind up here. She was always going to be an environmentally zealous left-wing socialist. She always was. Part of it is she's a natural-born Swede. And that's where everybody in Sweden seems to go these days. But part of it is she surrounded herself with the angry voices that hate capitalism. Capitalism has done more for humanity, lifted more people out of poverty, improved the lives of more people around the world. And that's why they hate capitalism, because by improving the world and raising the standard of living in the world, it's made things readily accessible to the poor that otherwise would only be accessible to the elite. And the elite hate having to compete for resources against the rest of us. So they want to lock us up in our houses, put our children in masks, and have us socially distanced from them, not for COVID, not for climate, but just for their own peace of mind. And we should resist like hell letting any of them be in charge and set public policy for any reason, particularly considering how badly they got COVID wrong. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americans for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Well, it has happened. Uh, the Federal Reserve has hiked interest rates uh, another three quarters of a percent. The Dow is now up 228 points, NASDAQ up 21, S&P 500 up 14 points. The markets assumed this was going to happen. They are reacting positively because the Federal Reserve has hinted they will start slowing down. This is from Bloomberg News. Federal Reserve officials signal their aggressive campaign to curb inflation could be entering its final phase even as they deliver their fourth straight 75 basis point interest rate hike. 75 basis points means three quarters of a percent. 
If 1% is 100 basis points, it's 75 basis points. While central bankers said that ongoing increases will still likely be needed to bring rates to a level that are sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time, they added fresh language to their statement. Quote, the pace of future increases in borrowing costs would take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lag which would it might affect the economy and developments in the economy and finance. The new commentary by the Federal Open Markets Committee comes amid strong readings on inflation and jobs, even as sectors like housing and manufacturing have slowed substantially. The added addition will spur speculation. Jerome Powell and colleagues will slow the pace of rate increases, with many Wall Street economists anticipating they will downshift to a half percentage point increase when they gather in December. That's made um, markets happy today that they may slow that down, which I guess is a good thing. Uh, The markets, of course, are reacting to this news. Right now, they're reacting positively to the news. Uh, Some people may pull out gains, though, uh, after today, so you may see market go down. And there are a lot of Americans, I'm sure, buying the Powerball tonight, which is at $1.2 billion for the Powerball, which is just remarkable uh, that we're getting to this point. There's your inflation right there, the amount of people pouring money into the Powerball all the time as people are trying to find somewhere to make some money. Might as well invest in the lottery. Ah, Dave Ramsey. Well, if he were dead, he'd be rolling over his grave. Instead, he's rolling his eyeballs at all of us. I bought a ticket. <laughs> oh, come on. It's over a billion dollars, $2, might as well. Uh, just, just fund my kids' education. That's the way I look at it, and the education of other kids as well. The economic news that's out there uh, is, is problematic because while the Fed is going to slow interest rate increases, It is widely agreed by everyone in uh, economic circles that we're headed into a recession. And because we're headed into a recession, we are rapidly uh, going to have, well, bad bear market. 401ks are going to go down. I am sure the Democrats right now are pivoting to try to figure out how to claim it's the Republicans' fault. Businesses are also getting ready for the economic fallout. They're making cutbacks and layoffs, among other things. They're also getting prepared for Republicans to take over Congress. Disney is one of those companies. Bob Chapik, the CEO, had private phone calls with Republican leaders. Many of the calls between Chapik and House Republican officials involved the Disney CEO being direct and defending the company's opposition to the Florida legislation on teaching about sexuality in elementary school. Uh, They know they're probably going to be called up on hearings. I'll tell you who's in danger here. The tech companies of America, particularly the social media companies, the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Googles, more than any others, they have serious danger of Republicans coming back. Google, because Republicans are upset, so many of their emails have been going to spam. Sadly, not enough in my mind. But also how Google adjusts its algorithm to benefit progressives. Uh, You're probably going to see their stocks go down after the stock market. Not investment advice. I just think it's going to happen. We'll be back. The holidays are the most exciting time of year. And if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep every single night. Particularly before your kids wake you up early during the holidays. My goodness gracious. It's easier than it sounds, though. 
you need the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Boland Branch. Their sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference. You can truly feel night after night. Forget the script that they gave me to read. Y'all, let me just tell you, Bowling Branch, I sleep on their sheets, and they get softer every single time I wash them. They are so soft at this point. Like, they start out, and they're fine. They're good sheets. You can tell they've got a nice weight to them. They've got a good thread count. The quality of the fabric is, is very nice. But the more you wash them, the more you realize how good they are because they get softer, but they don't fray. That makes a real difference. I can tell you, I sleep on Bowling Branch sheets. I bought them myself even. They didn't send them to me as an advertiser. I actually bought them. We've been buying them for a while. They're towels and other things as well. But their signature sheets, they come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box for you. Your gifts are going to look great. You can give these sheets to people you love. Bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowling Branch bedding. For a limited time, 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code ERIC, bowlandbranch.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Very happy to have you with me. I would like to take your phone calls if you want to call in, although I do have more stuff I got to talk about. Uh, right now, though, I do want to talk to Greg. Greg, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? Yeah, doing well, Eric. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah, you were you were mentioning people who should be held accountable, and I think a group of people who should be held accountable are certainly the media they're the same people who hid Joe Biden through the whole campaign and are now, you know, we're hiding Fetterman in Pennsylvania, obviously. And uh, they, uh, they're going to be the people who are going to blame the recession on the Republicans when the Republicans take over. And that's like uh, handing the steering wheel to the Titanic to somebody just after you hit the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good analogy. Listen, um, I, I think the media is already being held accountable. If you look at the, the viewership decline, you look at the collapse of newspapers, you look at people turning to alternatives. I, I think there's a level of accountability going on. The media just doesn't appreciate it yet. Uh, but I we also oh. go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I lost all faith altogether when uh, Juanita Broderick was on NBC on a Monday night and got home early to watch, uh, watch Tom Brokaw. And he led the show with a story about avalanches in Northern Italy and never discussed the story that was on his own network, the entire show. And the New yeah. York times put the story 17 B at the bottom. Oh, look, um, you know, I was around during the Gabriel Gifford stuff. I was on, I was actually doing TV when Gabriel Giffords was shot in Arizona and it was about a week of coverage on the front page of the New York Times. James Hodgkinson attempted a mass assassination of Republicans, and it was three days on the front page of the New York Times. And by the way, he had a political motive, and Jared Lochner, who shot Gabriel Giffords, did not. Yeah, there's a, there's a really big uh, disparity there. And I think more and more Americans are seeing this sort of stuff happen and play out. And, and again, I just got to tell you, and, and you know, let me do this as a simple one. Uh, for so Philip can get something up on social media here with this one. 
the very same federal government that tells us we have to abandon fossil fuels for climate change is the federal government who reliably regularly screwed up on COVID. They told us we had to stay home. They told us we had to wear masks even well past the data was clear if they didn't work. They told us to take a vaccine or lose your job and a vaccine that didn't actually stop the virus. And now they want us to give up our way of life for climate change. I don't think that the experts and the elite who screwed up COVID so badly can be allowed to dictate our economy based on their fears of climate change. We are living in the real world at a moment where the climate change research and prognostications of 20 years ago have come to be. And while in some cases they have shown that clearly there's climate change, in most cases, the awfulness they showed that would happen has not happened. We were told 20 years ago we had 10 years or the world was going to end, and they keep telling us we have 10 years before the world is going to end. These are the exact same people who told us we were all going to die of COVID and that the vaccine would keep all of us from getting it. Yes, I have tried to show as much grace as possible to experts with a brand new virus, but over time, the virus was not brand new. The data played itself out. They still think you're racist if you think the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, and we know it did, and they will not change their minds because they dogmatically cannot commit to the idea that the data changes. They have shown no humility. They don't do this with climate change. We cannot put the people who are in charge of setting policies for COVID in charge of climate. And if anything, the people who are in charge of the climate change policies are more dogmatic and religious than the people who put in the COVID policies, and we'll all be branded heretics by them for one thing or another. They want to control us. They don't actually want to solve any problem. And by the way, even if there is a problem, it's manageable, mitigatable, and something we can adapt to. And they hate it when you point that out. There's just no way I want these people in charge of me. I got to go back to the economy because they're screwing this up. Brian Deese, who I'm hearing is out at the White House after this election. Brian Deese was on CNBC defending uh, a windfall tax on uh, oil companies. I think if we're talking about any of these conversations, we have to start by recognizing that we are not in normal times. Uh, We are in a time of war, and the global environment and the global energy markets are fundamentally affected by that reality. And the reason why we have had the supply crisis that we have had and the reason why we have seen price increases that we've seen globally uh, is at the core because of uh, the war and Putin's actions. And so companies that are in a position where prices have increased dramatically have reaped a uh, have have reaped excessive uh, profits uh, from that windfall and so you know the question that the president was raising yesterday and the choice that the president was putting forward yesterday was that those companies in an environment as unique as this one where this is not about investments made years ago and invest and returns on innovation, but instead a unique situation driven by a geopolitical crisis because of war. Those companies have an obligation to act in the interests of not only their shareholders, but also their consumers and also their. Um, so the problem here is that while the Biden administration is attacking corporations for high profits, sees ignored profit margins. Nothing is very excessive um, when it comes to this. And the amount of investment that they have put in over time, they're still trying to get their money back. You know, it takes 20 years to turn a profit when they dig a hole in the ground. 
they're doing this to stir up the Democratic base at this point. But, you know, it, it very much in the same way they've convinced a whole host of Democratic voters that democracy is under attack, democracy is threatened. They're convincing voters as well that it's the oil company's nefariousness when it's really not. It, it, it's simply not true. But they don't really care about the facts at this point. They simply don't care about the facts. They're just trying to gin up anger and try to direct that anger in a direction other than themselves. And they don't really care about the consequences. Lee Cooperman was followed up Brian Deese on CNBC. He's a uh, global billionaire investment advisor. Listen to him. We're pretty heavily invested. And I said we're having a flat year, which I think is a total accomplishment. I don't like a lot of things. Uh, you know, I, I think we're heading towards a recession. I think that labor seems to have the upper hand. We have terrible leadership out of Washington, terrible leadership. I mean, this idea of a windfall profits tax, how do you get increased production? They want to send the, the President Biden to school to learn a little bit about economics. You know, and I voted for him. You know, it was more of a vote against uh, Donald Trump than, a, than a, a strong endorsement to the president. But, you know, he's doing so many things that are just patently obvious that it's all done to try and improve the election outcome in November. You know, the uh, marijuana uh, relaxation, the uh, student loan forgiveness. He's not going to get a windfall profits tax in. There's no way it's going to pass Congress. And so he's making proposals to design to get votes that make no economic sense. And so that bothers me. Yep, they make no economic sense. Uh, at this point, they're just throwing things at the wall. And, you know, th this, this kind of happens in the end in campaigns. When you're at the end of a campaign, let, let me just, let me play this out for you. When you're running for office, you map out a campaign path and you try to stick to that campaign path. You try to come up with a comprehensive campaign plan. You put it in writing, you build a strategy and then under your strategy are the individual tactics to accomplish the strategy to map out your plan. The Democrats' plan for this election should have been they're on defense. History is against them. They need to mitigate damage. And the way the Democrats decided to mitigate damage was to stir up the Democratic base as best they can and get the Democratic base to turn out for them to raise the number of Democrats because they knew they were going to turn off independents. And that works to a degree, if we're honest about it. It, it, it. That's a legitimate campaign strategy. The problem is they divided their own base because there are a lot of suburban voters and the Democratic side who care about abortion, but they care deeply about their 401ks. They care deeply about their kids' education, and they kind of burn bridges with those people. So they fractured their own base, some of whom aren't going to go vote Republican. They're just not going to go vote. We're seeing this in the South in black communities where black voters are not turning up in the numbers they need. We're seeing this in suburbia where white women are either voting Republican or they're staying home. They're not going to go vote for abortion rights. They're just not going to go vote. You cannot really understand the moment where we're at unless you understand the whole way through. This election began on January 20th, 2021, when Joe Biden was sworn into office and Donald Trump went away. The midterm election began then. And history showed from the very beginning 
that the party that controls the White House does poorly in the midterms. And they needed to plan. They needed to do something. So what do they plan? What do they need to do? What should they have done? Well, they should have learned along the way. You got to mitigate with the middle class. You have to mitigate with swing voters. You have to mitigate with voters who are independent. Try to get your voters to come out while not losing the independent voters as best you can. So you fast forward and you get to 2021, the end of 2021. And what happened? The governor of Virginia, all the polling showed Terry McAuliffe was going to win. He tried to make it a referendum on Donald Trump and it lost. And Glenn Youngkin won and Glenn Youngkin won on schools and education. That should have been a tip-off for the Democrats. Abandon January 6th. Abandon your threat to democracy rhetoric. It's not working even in Virginia, the state closest to the U.S. Capitol where it happened other than Maryland. It's time to move on to a different message, and instead they doubled down on it. They could have looked at Glenn Youngkin, a man who campaigned against transgenderism in schools, a man who campaigned against critical race theory, a man who campaigned specifically on opening schools back up. And the Democrats decided to get in bed with the teachers' unions and double down instead. And then the Supreme Court handed them a gift, the Dobbs decision. And they tried to make hay out of it, but the economy was collapsing around them. Every time the Democrats have had an opportunity to save themselves in this election, what they've done is tried to motivate the core progressive base that has alienated more moderate independence and it's alienated regular independence. They never really seem to have sat down and come up with a mitigation strategy for the election other than let's turn out the Democratic base. They have come to believe by faith in the Democratic Party that there are more of them than there are of us and all they have to do is turn out their voters. But they've always been wrong when they do this. And history should tell them this, but progressives never have a sense of history. It's always new and shiny history for progressives. It's never any, they don't learn anything from the past. And so now they're a week from the election. They've alienated parts of the Democratic base. They fractured their own party. They've alienated independent voters, particularly independent women. They fired up Republicans. The Democrats for two years have done every single thing wrong. It is textbook malpractice in the Democratic Party at this moment. It is textbook political malpractice. They divided their base while trying to motivate their base. They alienated all the independent voters who might stand with them on cultural issues. Because they screwed up the economy so bad, they blamed everyone else when they're in charge of everything. They ignored the lesson of Virginia, don't make it about Trump. They did all of the things wrong, and now they expect a different outcome. They're not going to get a different outcome. They're going to get the same outcome that was always coming, a blowout election for the Republicans. They could have mitigated it. They could have done something different. Had they studied the game along the way, they could have made some tweaks and adjustments, and they didn't. They very dogmatically dug in their heels and did everything wrong along the way. It's been foreseeable the whole time, but they have so many people in the media who are so on board what they've done, they've gotten attaboys when they should have gotten caution. Before I get to break, I want to take Jeff's phone call. Jeff, you're going to be up next. Last caller on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Hey, thank you. 
Uh, just a quick comment. Uh, uh, over the last week, I've seen the uh, ad about uh, uh, citing all the terrible stuff about Herschel Walker from 2013. They don't mention that part. But the bottom line is I got a little interested in it, and I noticed on one of the things, and I'm talking about YouTube and every single station, everybody has this ad. At the, at the end of it, you see something about GeorgiaHonor.com at the bottom of it. And I thought, who are these guys? I mean, are they based in Massachusetts? Is it, I, I just wondered. So I went to the website, and what you see is a picture, a still picture of the Appalachian Mountains, which start in North Georgia. That's it. There's no click. There's no identification. There's no uh, who we are. There's that picture. There's no place to go. So it is a picture, and it's a nice picture. It's very pleasant. Anyway, I went to whois.com, where you can look up a domain to see who was georgiahonor.com, and basically it's a domain registered in Toronto, Canada. So, And there's nothing there. You can't find out anything about anybody there. So I don't know who the people are, but they're spending a ton of money here, maybe other places too, but definitely in Georgia and on YouTube and every, every imaginable uh, uh, site where you could, uh, uh, you know, get someone's attention. I just thought that was uh, an interesting topic. Thought I'd mention it. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm glad you said that. This this is one of the the dark money packs that Democrats claim are not on their side. Um, it's one of two super PACs that were set up by the Democrats in Washington D.C. It's largely funded by the Senate Majority Pack of um, of. Uh, Chuck Schumer. They call it Georgia Honor, so it makes it sound like it's a Georgia Super PAC. It's actually Chuck Schumer's PAC using a Georgia name so that they um, they don't have to show where the money's coming from. It was actually set up in 2021 in the runoff to fight Kelly Leffler, and they've repurposed it to fight for her or to Raphael Warnock right now. Um, it was done against Kelly Leffler. Then now it's pro. Raphael Warnock, it's coming out attacking Herschel Walker, but that's what it is. It is a, it's Chuck Schumer Super PAC under a different name, so it makes it sound like it's a local organization in Georgia when it's not actually. Um, one of the groups that's out there doing it, honestly, is Patriot Mobile. They are not afraid to tell people that they're Patriot Mobile, that they're in Texas, they're conservatives, and they fight nationwide, and they do it by getting you to move your business to them. They're a cell phone company. They give you guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers everyone else uses. All you do is move your business home, call them, or go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You can take your existing cell phone number, and you can take it to Patriot Mobile. They will port it to their system. You can use your existing phone if it's unlocked or get a new phone from them and just start using Patriot Mobile as your cell phone provider. They've got data. They've got 5G. they got voice. they got guaranteed great service using the same cell towers everyone else uses. And then they take a portion of the profits and fund the conservative movement. You can call them at 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Get free activation. They give you great discounts. They're a great company. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, Capitol Police apparently had cameras at the Pelosi home. And they could see the break-in happening. It was all recorded. Contrary to what some people speculated on, it was an actual physical break-in. That is actually the truth. He actually did break in, used a hammer to go in. And the Capitol Police saw everything. Well, they recorded everything. They just weren't watching the camera of Nancy Pelosi's house. That's right. 
Inside the command center for the U.S. Capitol Police, a handful of officers were going through their routines Friday morning, cycling through live feeds from 1,800 cameras used to monitor the Capitol. On a screen showing a darkened street 3,000 miles away, police lights were flashing. The whole thing happened, and no one saw a thing because they weren't looking at that camera. My goodness. I will see you guys in Orlando on Friday. I will be here tomorrow from Atlanta. And then don't forget those of you at WDBO. Hope to see you in studio on Friday.